Howdy. You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Howdy, y'all. Howdy. Howdy. Uh, we're now going to transition into the sermon with the scripture reading. It comes from 1 Thessalonians 4a. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the space you've provided us tonight where we can come and worship you and learn more about you. I thank you for this day that you have given us. Uh, I pray that you open our hearts and prepare our minds for the words that we are about to receive. And I pray that uh, you lend us the strength to just uh, preach those words well. Lord, I pray all this in your name. Amen. Good. Uh, y'all, welcome to RUF. Uh, my name is Austin McCann. I'm the RUF campus minister here. Uh, I just want to say this. If this is your first time walking through the doors of All Faith Chapel for RUF, uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, we say this all the time. You probably see, this, see our signs around campus, but we really do believe that you're never so good that you stand outside the need of God's grace, while at the same time you're never so bad that you stand outside the reach of his grace. And we hope that you actually taste and experience that when you come to RUF. When you like interact with me and the community here, uh, we want to be about that. And so, really, we're glad you're here. Um, look, let me say this. Uh, like, If you're joining us for the first time, what we normally do in RUF Large Group is we take a book of the Bible and we march through it. Uh, but this semester we're doing something a little bit differently. Because every four years in the fall, we always take Scripture and we look through the lens of Scripture and see what it says about relationships about how we relate to God, how we relate to one another, and how we relate to this world. And so our question this semester, if you can remember, is this. It's like, what does God in his gospel have to do with all of these really complicated relationships in my life? That's the question that we're answering all semester, and what I held out for you at the very beginning. And what scripture holds out for you is this, everything. That God and his gospel have everything to do with your relationships. And so a foundational principle in our series is understanding that our vertical relationship with God will always shape our horizontal relationships with one another. And so before we get into our horizontal relationships this fall, which will start next week, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to be talking about our vertical relationship with God, specifically how we relate to God's will. And so tonight, clarification, it's just First uh, Thessalonians 4, 3a. So for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, that's what I want to be the focus tonight. Um, and so, so what does that look like, right? Because so many of your, your relationship questions, like, what does it look like to be a friend? Like, where should I spend my time in college? Like, what should I major in? Who should I date and marry? And so on. Right, the Christian is at least trying to think of those things in relation to God and his will and what he wants. And so, for example, um, Edward had been noticing Katie, uh, or Catherine, I guess we call her Catherine, for, at, at some social situations okay, at the beginning of college. And they had been Snapchatting for a while and, and texting a little bit. And as far as Eddie can read it, like, there seems to be some interest from Katie, okay? And, like, he asks his friends, he's like, hey, what do you think about these texts? And they're like, oh, dude, she's definitely into you, right? And, uh, and Eddie expresses in some fashion, 
but he likes Katie also. Right? And so the communication kind of increases, and Eddie is sure, like, okay, Katie, I think she likes me, and, and he wants to date her. And so Katie thinks, like, man, Eddie's a really good guy, but uh, I just don't think I'm there. And, uh, and she starts asking God to actually show her if she should keep getting to know Eddie and asking that he would make it clear. Well, after a couple of weeks, she decides that she respects Eddie enough to tell him uh, that, hey, this just isn't going anywhere. And uh, she says, Eddie, you're a great guy, but I just don't think we should date. And Eddie's like, like, why not? Like, what did I do wrong? And then Katie, like, drops the bomb. She's like, uh, you didn't do anything wrong, but I've just been praying and asking God for clarity, and I think God is telling me that we just shouldn't date. And, uh, and it's just not his will. And so Eddie's, like, obviously disappointed, and not only because he's been dumped by Katie, but in some fashion he's been dumped by God as well, right? Now, like, I, I don't know how that, that sounds to you, okay? For some of you, that's probably triggering. Um, right? But if you're, if you're investigating Christianity tonight, that probably sounds insane, right? Um, but really, it's an illustration for us tonight of the struggle of how we relate to God's will and how that impacts our lives and all of our relationships. And so this is what we're going to do tonight, okay? So, so I want to look at three things tonight as we study what it means to relate to God and His will. Okay, so if you're a note-taker, here you go. Uh, first, we're going to be looking at this, at defining God's will. Secondly, we're going to be looking at the struggle with God's will. And lastly, we're going to be looking at the application of God's will, okay? So defining God's will, the struggle with God's will, and the application of God's will. Okay, so first, defining God's will. What does the Bible mean when it speaks of God's will? When you hear that phrase, right? Because I can actually I actually think that's one of the most confusing phrases in the in the Christian vocabulary. And what I think causes that confusion is that we talk about God's will in different ways, don't we? Right? Like sometimes we speak of all things happening according to God's will. Like other times we talk about being obedient and doing the will of God. And still other times we talk about finding the will of God, right? So when talking about relating to God's will, it always depends on which part of God's will we're talking about. Right, kind of like, uh, shameless plug here, like kind of like when you're, when you're coming to RUF uh, Coffee Crawl this semester every Friday, right, and your friend says like, hey, we're going to harvest this week, harvest coffee. And you're like, okay, but like, which harvest are you talking about? You're talking about the harvest in downtown Bryan? Are you talking about the harvest in Century Square? Or are you talking about the harvest down in South College Station? Right? Like, all of them are connected, but all of them are very different at the same time. Um, I usually don't do this, but I'm going to do a book plug tonight. Uh, this is a book called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, it's, I think it's, I've read a lot of books on, on God's will. I think it's truly one of the best books uh, on God's will. So if you're looking for that, a lot of material tonight is coming from this book. So thank you, Kevin. Um, but Kevin Young, in, in this book, just do something. He helpfully lays out for us how Scripture demonstrates God's will in three categories, okay? The first two being more clear, but the last being a little bit more complica complicated than we would like it to be. So when defining the will of God, Scripture holds out for us three categories. So first is this. First is God's will of decree, or His secret will. Okay, God's will of decree, His secret will. Right? Sometimes when the scriptures talk about God's will, it's in relation to everything that is happening in the world. So this refers to what God has ordained. 
that everything in this world, all of world history that comes to pass, is according to God's sovereign decree. In other words, what God wills, will happen. And what happens is according to God's will. It's unchanging. It cannot be thwarted. It's fixed. So God is sovereign over everything. Nature and nations, animals and angels, spirits and Satan, wonderful people and wicked people, even disease and death. That this is what we mean by God's will of decree, which is taught in numerous passages of Scripture. So let's look at a few, okay? They're not up here, right? But first is Matthew 10, 29. And this is Jesus talking. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your hair are numbered. Right? Jesus picks an admittedly ordinary event, a sparrow falling to the ground, and every hair follicle, or lack thereof, right? And says, that doesn't happen apart from the will of God. God does not just plan a few big ticket items in our lives. He knows and ordains every detail. And consider uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So God's will of decree works out everything. The big picture, the little details, and everything in between. According to his own good purposes and for his glory. To borrow a line from, from Augustine, this old smart theologian, okay? The will of God is the necessity of all things. So God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Everything is carrying out his will of decree. Which means this, okay? So like, so what, right? It means that God's will of decree is shown to us to actually bring us comfort. To say that your life and this world is never truly out of control, even when it feels like. Charles Spurgeon, an old great Baptist preacher. Yes, I'm quoting a Baptist preacher at Reformed, Reformed University Fellowship. Okay? He said, The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. See, there are no out-of-control, random happenings in this world according to the Christian worldview. And so are you in God's will tonight according to this definition? Of course you are. <laughs> you can't ever be outside of it. Right? Was it God's will for you to be at RUF tonight? Yes, absolutely. So that's God's will of decree. Okay? He is sovereign and ordains everything past, present, and future for his glory and his good purposes. All right? And here's the second way Scripture talks about God's will. So that's the first way. Here's the second way. Secondly is God's will of desire, his revealed will. Okay? Another way that Scripture talks about God's will is his will of desire, his revealed will which is how he clearly desires you to live. All right, listen to 1 John chapter 2, verses 16-17. through 17. For all that is in the world, the, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Did you hear it? That the will of God in this passage does not refer to the way that God ordains things, but to the way that God commands us to live. So walking in the will of God for the, for the Apostle John is actually the opposite of worldliness. Doing the will of God means saying no to the desires of the flesh. Right? Consider another, another passage Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21. This is going somewhere, I promise. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the, from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, 
by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the will of God, his will of desire, means that you do what is pleasing to him. I think the Apostle Paul sums up God's will of desire, his revealed will for you, perfectly in our, in our verse tonight. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That God's revealed will is always, always for your sanctification, your growth, your holiness, your dying unto sin and living unto righteousness. That His will of desire is concerned with you becoming more and more like His beloved Son, Jesus. So these are the two categories of God's will that Scripture most frequently speaks of, okay? And you've probably heard this famous verse, right? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the, to the Lord our God, His, His, uh, His will of decree. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of His law, His will of desire. Okay, This is the closest we come to finding God's will of decree and will of desire side by side in the same verse. God has the secret things known only to Him, but He also revealed uh, things that we were meant to know and obey. So God's will of decree, which, which we are supposed to trust and find comfort in, and God's will of desire, which are, we are supposed to trust and obey. Okay? So those are the first two ways of speaking of God's will. And then there's a third way that we speak sometimes of God's will, okay? Because most, most of the time, what we're really looking for is actually God's will of direction. And this is the third way, right? right? This third way of God's will of direction stems from the idea that God has a personal, specific plan for your life. And look, the psalmist actually rejoices in this. In Psalm 139, uh, verse 16, speaking to God, the psalmist says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet they were, there was none of them. So King David in the Psalms is rejoicing the fact that God is personal and so sovereign that all the days of David's life are planned out for him. That is true. And like this is where things begin... This is where we begin to make things a little bit more complicated for ourselves, right? Because now we're actually into all the scores of the who and the what and the where and the when parts of my life that aren't God's moral revealed decisions that we make. Instead, you hear God's will direction and the questions that we ask at the beginning, right? Who should I live with next year? What should I major in? Should I rush or not rush? What organization do I join and why? Who do I marry? What job should I take? What does God want me to do with my life? These are the questions that we're asking when we seek God's will direction for our lives. And we, we want to know His individual specific plan for who, what, where, when, and the how of our lives. We want to know His direction. Right? And this bleeds into our second point, which is the struggle with God's will. Because here's the heart of the matter tonight. Does God have a specific plan for your life? Yes. Can we all rest assured that if we're in Christ, that God works things for our good in Christ Jesus no matter what? Yes. Can we look back on our lives and sometimes trace God's hand in bringing us to where we are? Absolutely. But the question is this. Does God have a secret will of direction for our lives that He expects us to figure out before we do anything? No. 
Never. While we are free to ask God for wisdom, God does not burden us with the task of figuring out his will of direction for our lives ahead of time. Right? If you, if you hear anything tonight, this is what I want you to hear, okay? Does God have a specific plan for our lives? Yes. But it is not one that he expects us to figure out before we make any decision. Right, let me be clear. I'm not saying that God won't help you make decisions, right? It's called wisdom. We'll talk about it in a second. I'm also not saying that God doesn't care about your future. Neither am I saying that God isn't directing your path and in control amidst all the chaos in your life. We believe in providence with all of our hearts here. What I'm saying is what Kevin DeYoung puts so clearly. That we should stop thinking of God's will like a corn maze, or a tightrope, or a bullseye. Or a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Right? Some of you play video games, like others you read. Like, like have you ever read a choose-your-own-adventure story? Right? Like, Dion uses this example I think is helpful. Like, when you're reading a choose-your-own-adventure story, you get to a turning point in the story, and you, and you have two choices to make, right? Like, for example, if you want to leave the country, you turn to page 23. Or, or if you want to go hide out in a cave, you turn to page 36. But oops, you turn to page 36 and the cave turns out to be a side of a volcano and you die, right? Like, you made the wrong choice. <laughs> like, that's really fun for, like, books for children, but that is not fun at all if that's how God's will works in our lives. Because, because if we're honest, like, many of us fear that we'll take the wrong job or we'll marry the wrong person or we'll declare the wrong major and, like, suddenly our lives will blow up. Like, we'll be out of God's will, doomed to spiritual, relational, and physical failure. We'll miss, we'll miss God's best and have to settle for an alternate ending of our lives. So the question is, why? Like, like, why are so many Christians desperate to find out God's plan for their lives? And I'm sympathetic to this, right? Why do we struggle so much waiting for God to reveal His will of direction for our lives? Well, let me suggest four reasons for this struggle with God's will, okay? The first is this, is that normally, all of this starts from wanting to please God. Right? A lot of people operate from the assumption that God has picked out a plan for my life. I need to figure it out, because if I miss it, then I'm going to let God down. Right? If the Lord thinks I need to move back to Houston, I don't want to end up in Fargo, right? If we're supposed to major in chemical engineering... We don't want to major in finance, right? If I was meant to go to the mission field, I don't want to end up in suburbia. Right? We want to do what God wants, which is good. But this is not how the will of God works. It's not your responsibility to have God's will of direction figured out before you make a decision. While there may be really good intent behind that, this is where we can dangerously over-spiritualize every decision that we make in our lives. Dangerously. Because what happens is our misdirected piety makes following God more mysterious than it was ever really meant to be. And can quickly turn into this paralyzing worry and procrastination and maybe never making a decision at all. So that's the first reason why we try and figure out God's plan for my life. Is that we don't want to let him down. Which is a good intention. Right? A second reason I want to propose is why we're so desperate to find God's will in our lives is because we want perfect fulfillment. Like, whether we admit it or not tonight, like, we, we want the good life. 
is it wrong to make a lot of money in your vocation? No, absolutely not. Like, is it wrong to want to have a job that provides for your family to be faithful in? No, of course not. That's good. Is it wrong for you to marry this person that you think is just the best? No. But what I'm suggesting is that maybe so much of our struggle to unearth God's will for your life and why that, deci- why that decision process feels so weighty is because maybe it's a symptom of you truly wanting to experience heaven on earth. But when every experience and situation must be rewarded to put us on the road to complete fulfillment, then suddenly decisions about where to live, what house we buy, what dorm we're in, whether we sit with this friend group or that friend group at Kyle Field, take on such a weighty, unnecessary significance. To the point of, I have to have an answer or someone has to tell me what to do because what I desire deep down is perfect fulfillment. That's the second reason, is we're chasing the good life. Let me propose a third reason, okay? The third reason why we're so desperate to find God's will in our lives is because sometimes we just have way too many choices. And actually, that's not your fault a lot of the time. You have thousands upon thousands of choices at this university. With like 73,000 students on this campus, there's tons of student organizations. There's tons of options. There is tons of opportunities for you to major in this or to choose this career opportunity. Right? Some of that you just can't control. Like, so there's no surprise why we're always thinking about the greener grass on the other side of the fence. <laughs> FOMO is still real. Right? We, we have this constant fear of missing out. But if we make a decision, we're going to have buyer's remorse. Right? Settling for second best. Those of you who play fantasy football know exactly what I mean by this. Like, like if we choose option A, like we feel the sting of not having option B, C, and D. And as a result, having to make a choice actually feels worse than making no choice at all. Young says this, that our freedom to do anything and go anywhere ends up feeling like bondage not more than freedom. Because decision-making feels like pain, not pleasure. You feel that, right? Like decisions are hard, and they're painful. And most of the time, you're not rejoicing over, am I going to go to camp this summer, or am I going to do an internship? Like, you're already thinking about that. What I'm suggesting is that our eagerness to know God's will is probably less indicative of a heart that desperately wants to obey God and more about heads spinning with all the choices that are to be made. And sometimes we just can't control that. We just have a lot of choices. Lastly is, is this, okay? Lastly, our eagerness, eagerness in demanding God to reveal His will of direction for our lives is because we're anxious and afraid of the future. Right? Listen to Matthew chapter 6, verses 30-34. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little of faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
You see, worry and anxiety are, are not merely bad habits or idiosyncrasies. They're actually sinful fruits that blossom from the, from the root of unbelief. Jesus doesn't treat obsession with the future as a, as a personal quirk that's just kind of like who I am. But instead, it's evidence of little faith, according to verse 30. And you're like, you are looking at a man who is in constant need of repenting of worry and anxiety. We all struggle with this, some more than others. But anxiety is living out the future before it happens, instead of trusting a God who cares for me. And this leads us to our last point, okay? Is the application of God's will. So, like, is there a better way to be relating to God's will? Scripture holds out for us, yes. That according to the passage that Luke read for us in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, is that God's will for you is your sanctification, becoming more like His Son Jesus. And according to Matthew 6, verse 33, the way we do that is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That is His revealed will for our lives. It's not a sexy silver bullet that you may have been looking for tonight. And it's not always easy. But it's clear. See, God wants you to buy a house that will make you holy. He wants you to take an internship so that you can be holy. If you marry, He wants you to get married so that you can be holy. Count on it. Whether you're in Houston or Hawaii, whether you're single or married, whether you're in med school or working for NASA, whether you're in trial or tribulation, whether you decide to ask her out, and you should, okay, God? And if she says no, you can respect that, right? God's will is always your sanctification. He has set you apart that you, that you would grow to be more like His Son, Jesus. And that is clear. So maybe, just maybe those decisions in your life that feel life-altering, they may not be as life-altering when you realize that your life is meant to become more like Jesus no matter what you do. And the hope is the more you center your heart on seeking, on seeking God's kingdom and His righteousness, all the decisions that follow will become a little less weighty. Knowing that I can cast my fear and anxiety on a God who cares for me, who loves me, who is sovereign, and the fulfillment of my life does not rest on my decision, but it rests on Him. That should be able to free you tonight. And so I want to end with this as we kind of descend here, right? Like, I want you to recognize that all of these questions that I asked at the beginning, right? Where am I going to live? Job? I'm going to get out of college? Who will I marry? What org should I get involved in? All of these decisions you will make are decisions of wisdom, okay? See, we said this already, but God does not tell us the future, nor does He expect us to figure that out. When we don't know which way to turn when faced with really tough decisions... God also doesn't expect us to just grope in the dark for some hidden will of direction. He expects us to trust Him and be wise. See, our problem with making a decision is not that we don't have enough information, right? Like we have plenty of information in our pockets, at our fingertips. It's a lot of the times we just don't have enough wisdom. Right? When we talk about wisdom, we're not just talking about witty aphorisms and homespun advice. 
we're talking about a profoundly God-centered approach to life and all of life's decisions. That wisdom is knowing God and doing as He commands. So as God is sanctifying you to become more and more like His Son Jesus, God gives us three practical ways in the book of Proverbs to walk in wisdom when making decisions. And I want to give those to you, okay? And related to God's will, we are called to seek wisdom through God's Word. That's the first practical advice, okay? You see, God knows that, and this is true of all of us tonight, God knows that we, we actually become the things that we behold. Right? And He develops us into wise people in becoming like His Son Jesus when we actually behold Him in His Word. So just one example, right? Apply, we could use a million examples tonight, right? But apply this today. Right? God, God clearly, clearly tells us in His Word that, that if you want to be married, then you need to be equally yoked. You, you need to marry a Christian if you're a Christian. So if like, the girl that I like doesn't love Jesus, then it's probably not God's will for you to date that girl. <laughs> that's pretty clear. If that's one way of exercising wisdom. And so that's the first piece, right? Is seeking wisdom through God's Word. Secondly, in relating to God's will, we are called to seek wisdom through prayer. James says that, that if you realize you, you lack wisdom, then ask for it. So instead of maybe asking for something God doesn't promise in your prayers, ask for wisdom. Pray for the things that you know that God wants to develop and are already in His will. Pray for humility and decision-making. Pray that you would think about decisions not out of a place of fear and anxiety, but in a place of assurance of God's love for you. Pray that you would trust His care for you and be willing to deny yourself to follow Him and love others well. Those are the things that we should be praying for that are already clear in His revealed will for us. That you would be leaning into what's already true from God's Word. Pray for those things and make a decision. (laughs) And finally is this. In relation to God's will, we are called to seek wisdom through counsel from others. That's what Proverbs holds out for us, okay? Get good counsel from people who you know, who you trust, who see things differently from you. But according to Proverbs, the fool is wise in his own eyes. Right? We need trusted friends and mentors and teachers and parents to speak into our lives when to, to make a decision when it's unclear. A wise person is teachable and seeks wisdom from other wise people. So after you've studied God's word and prayed and sought counsel, make a decision and don't hyper-spiritualize it. (laughs) Do what seems best. That's what it means to exercise wisdom. It may not be crystal clear, but if you are drinking deeply of godliness in the word and from others and in your prayer life, then you're probably making God-honoring decisions. Right? Study the scriptures, listen to others, pray continually. That's the best course of action. Not just the moment of crisis, but as a way of life. And make a decision. Um, I heard a story uh, about a boy who was blind. And, uh, and he was, he's finally old enough to actually like, walk to school. And uh, his school was only a few blocks away from his house, and him and his dad like went through some practice runs, and his dad was like, all right, you need this many steps and take a left, you need that many steps, take a right. So the morning came, and he was like, okay, you're going to go now on your own. And so the, the little boy's excited, 
He eats breakfast. He grabs his little, his little walking stick, and he, and he starts walking out. And as he's walking, something actually happens. He actually takes a misstep and trip. He trips. And he steps back up, and he realizes, like, wait a second, I, I, I've miscounted. I don't know where I am. So he actually up, ends up getting lost. And he's frozen on this sidewalk, just standing there in fear and confusion. And he finally hears a voice from a man say, excuse me, young man, like, you look lost. Can I help you? And relieved, he says, yes. Like, you know, I'm looking for my school. Can you, can you tell me where it is? And he describes it to him. And the man says, yes, just walk this many steps this way and take a ride. And so he does that. And he's so relieved as he's walking away, he goes, wait, 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 excuse me, sir. Like, how did you know that I was lost? And he leaned over and whispered to the boy and he said, he said, the man across the street who's been watching you this whole time, he came over and told me that you were lost and to come check on you. But I don't think you were supposed to know that. You see, in all the confusion and the unknown, his dad was watching him the whole time. That is the reality of God with us. That our Lord is sovereign over all things, watching over us. And we can live actually out of the reality of that love and obey Him and make decisions even when we don't know the outcomes. St. Augustine said this, right? Love God and do what you want. (laughs) Like, that is God's will, to love Him. Like, when I love Him, I want to obey Him and do what He says, and then feel the freedom to make decisions. Doesn't that sound like good news? When relating to God's will, obsessing over the future is not how God wants us to live. Because showing us the future is not God's way. His way is to speak to us in the Scriptures and transform us by the renewing of our minds. His way is not a crystal ball or a magic eight ball. His way is wisdom. His will for you is to become more like His Son, Jesus. He's planned out every detail of your life. The joyous days, and yes, the most difficult days. And which He promises is for our good and for His glory. Because we can rest in the comfort and God's will of decree, we can radically commit ourselves to His will of desire and obey Him. And yes, without worrying over a hidden will of direction. And in wisdom, we can make decisions. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a Lord who is sovereign. Lord, you're eternal, and you know all, you see all. And Lord, like a little boy blind on, on a corner, not knowing where you are, you see us and you know us. And you watch over us. And you tell us that your revealed, your revealed will for us is to become more like your son Jesus. Lord, would you give us, Aggie RUF, hearts that long to know you, that long to obey you, that long to live out of the love that is already true of us through the shed blood of your son Jesus. Would you give us wisdom? Lord, we need wisdom. We're helpless. Would you help us to love your word? Would we be hungry for your word? Would you teach us how to pray the things that are already true in your word? Lord, would that grow us and change us and transform us? Would we seek the counsel of those around us? Trusting and knowing that whatever decision we make, we know that it's your will. And that we can trust you. We love you and we thank you for your son Jesus. Amen. 
We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig em.